0: Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We've got a wonderful interview with Dr. Helen Chersky, uh, all about oceanography and the bubbles under the water. So uh, i got nothing more to talk about. Let's get straight into it.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Helen Chersky from University College London, physicist and oceanographer. Hello. We have talked about bubbles before, but we've been informed that we have not talked enough about bubbles. Is that correct?
2: No one's ever talked enough about bubbles. They're the great unsung heroes of the physical world, so it's very important to talk about them even more.
0: I had a tech drawing teacher who actually talked in bubbles it was really repulsive, <laughs> very distracting. Now, as an oceanographer, I do have a question. You must be really excited by the
1: concept of global warming because we're going to get more and more ocean. <laughs> and that means you get more and more things to study.
2: There's definitely going to be more ocean. I've never really thought of it like that. I have to say
1: <laughs> it's there you go. quite an
2: ocean to start with. Yeah. not that excited oh. by it. I think the ocean's quite nice as it is. That's the problem. Oh. Sometimes, you know, it is enough.
1: So, oh, okay, so it's an elegant sufficiency of ocean. We don't want to overdo it.
2: I think Earth definitely has. it's a very good phrase. An elegant sufficiency of ocean, and any more would spoil it. <laughs>
1: so, so why should people, our listeners, care about bubbles?
2: Well, the first thing is that the bubbles I study are underwater bubbles, so they're not soap bubbles. They're the sort where you blow bubbles underwater mm. when you um, blow the wrong way down your straw or something like that. But the ones I study are in the ocean, not made by anybody blowing air down straws. But they matter because they do things. There's this weird thing, right, that a liquid has a load of stuff it does, and a gas has a different load of stuff it does. But when you mix the two together to make a bubbly fluid, that mixture can do things that neither of the original two things could do. Uh, And the most, most everyday example, I'm not really a coffee drinker, but I have friends who are coffee snobs and they they're lovely people but i've seen people take cappuccino right with big thick foam on the top bubbly bubbly water and if you watch someone who's a coffee snob they'll quite often balance a spoon put a spoon horizontally on top of their cappuccino right yes Yeah. Take the spoon to fall through the cappuccino, right? And the longer it takes, the better the milk foam is or something like that. (laughs) Point is, you put a spoon horizontally on top of a load of air, it would just fall through. And if you put a spoon horizontally on top of a cup of coffee, it would just fall through. And yet somehow you mix the air and the liquid together and you get something that can hold up a spoon.
1: So it's like it creates like a strong structure, a scaffold or something like that.
2: Pace, it's creating a structure but and, and so it's like that that's why bubbles are interesting because when you get this two phase mixture this liquid and the gas mixed together you've got a huge amount of surface area for a start you've got something which is very squishy so water is spectacularly uncompressed incompressible right mm-hmm. I mean, it's very hard to squish water to make it any smaller but you put bubbles in it suddenly you get squishy water and so bubbles in water are interesting because they they do things and they do things that neither the liquid or the gas could do by themselves and they're everywhere. No one, you know, people don't look at them, but they're in sort of cakes, and they make penguins go faster, and they help. Um, <laughs> hang, on,
1: hang on, hang cakes. on, hang on. Eat... You just made a big jump there. You went from cakes to fast penguins. Well, cake, the penguins yeah, we eat the cake, the bucket and bucket. then whoosh, there yeah. yeah. they go. All that sugar. That's, That's what you're trying to say. Bubbles make penguins uh, go faster.
2: Yeah, so there's, <laughs> a, um, there's, a, there's a, you, you've probably seen, there's very famous videos of penguins in the Antarctic swimming back up to the surface. So they've jumped in, they've gone fishing, And they're swimming back up to the surface because they've got to be going fast enough when they break the surface to jump up. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah onto, yeah, onto the right. ice flow.
2: So if those videos, when people have been filming them for years, and and one day physicists looked at them a decade or so ago and went, why are they streaming bubbles? And no one's ever thought about it, right? If you look at those very famous that, footage of penguins, penguins all got this kind of stream of bubbles behind them, and and the biologists, the natural history people, are just kind of went, oh, well, there they are.
0: I assumed <laughs> it's it, <that's> the <laughs> like, penguin it, screaming. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's what I was about to say. it's this penguin going go 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 <laughs> go and like like leaping out of the water? Isn't it? It's just it's just them. Well.
2: So it could be, but that's not where the bubbles come from. The problem is the bubbles are not coming from their mouths. Uh-oh. Um, so that, so this, the physicists did a bit of um, research into this, and it turns out that what's going on is that before the penguins go into the water to go fishing, they, they fluff up their feathers to store air underneath, and then they go down and go fishing. And on the way back up, they've got a problem, right? First of all, they've got to get past all the predators at the surface. And secondly, yes. they've got to go down high enough onto the ice without slithering back in. So what happens is that they, you know, they go fishing, and then as they start this big swim back up towards the surface to go as fast as possible, they sort of unfluff their feathers, and that's where the bubbles are coming from. They're coming from underneath the penguin's feathers. They're releasing all that trapped gas. Mm. And it gives them a coat of bubbles. And the reason that that is useful is it reduces drag. Oh, my goodness. And the calculation that was done is that a penguin that has a bubble coat can be going 50% faster than a penguin that is <laughs> When You're talking about you know survival in a difficult environment. That's a huge, you know, that's yeah. a huge advantage you want to have. And so people are actually trying to replicate that on ships. So Mitsubishi, for example, are trying to give whole big nailing cargo ships.
1: penguins to ships,
0: <laughs> just <laughs> keeping them there and just.
2: But you know, give a give a <laughs> ship a coat of bubbles, and you could significantly reduce its fuel.
0: Cover it in feathers. <laughs>
2: you could cover it in feathers, but um, you can. Do, that sounds like hard work. You can do the plucking of the birds, right? I don't know whose feathers you're going to use. So, you know, So the point is that they're useful. They, they can do something that, um, so it that's just,
1: really useful. So it lowers the friction. So it's really, so there's less water touching the side of the penguins or touching the side of the boat, so therefore it can move through the water faster. Yeah,
2: yeah, effectively, yes. So it, you need less energy to go same speed.
1: If, if the I was swimming in the water then, I just, I just had a horrible thought, just that my brain went to a bad place. So if I'm in the water and there's like a whale beneath me and I don't realise it's there and it breathes out and it suddenly makes a big load of the bubbles do i like fall through the water towards the whale
2: you would definitely sink a little bit in practice that the, those bubbles would break up and break apart very quickly so people do ask there's this thing about gigantic sort of belches from the seafloor sinking mm. ships something. oh yes um the that any big mass of gas like that will break apart extremely quickly So you will get a low-density region of water. Mm. The thing about it, though, is because the air is traveling upwards and it will be dragging liquid upwards with it as well, the liquid itself is overall moving upwards, um, and that pushes up. So you've got got two things going on. You've got the fact that there's gas and not water, so Mm. there's something to fall down into, but the whole thing is moving upwards it pushes upwards, and i've actually done this experiment right so we got a model ship so i don't know if you ever i used to be a springboard diver and i don't know if you've ever seen springboard diving pools but they quite often have a big air reservoir at the bottom so that there's a, you can make a big whoosh of bubbles for divers to practice into right okay so we put a model ship in a diving pool and we made the big whoosh of bubbles underneath it to see which one would happen and what happens is that the ship gets lifted up because the gas bubbles are rising up very, very quickly. They're dragging liquid with you, with them. Oh. And the whole thing has so much upward momentum. It's like a fountain. And so the ship gets lifted up and then sideways instead of sinking, sinking down. And in fact, the only way, so someone did some calculations on whether bubbles like that could sink ships if you got them. And basically they worked out the only way it's going to happen is if you tip the ship sideways so it, Took on water, um, and the ships are designed not to do that, so it's hmm. not going to happen. <laughs> but once your question in a very long winded way, you'd actually be carried up. Rather than sinking down, because the, of the momentum of the liquid moving upwards underneath
1: the mickey. So not only we say from Wales, the Bermuda Triangle is total rubbish. That's what you're trying to say here. That's like the yeah,
0: the Bermuda
2: yeah. Triangle is also rubbish because it's got a lot of ships going through it. So there's more there's more shipwrecks there just because it has more ships. There's not actually proportionally more things oh. sinking in the.
0: And the, more
1: UFOs per square well, yeah, kilometre yeah, too. of course, obviously that's that. Yeah, they're not sinking to the ocean. They're lifted into space. So yeah, that's, yeah, of course, that's uh, that's science.
0: But not statistically in any statistically different
1: manner. No, no, no. Yeah, so the, but what Dan's trying to say is the number of ships that sink are ne- negated by the number of ships that are floated into the air by spaceships is that what yeah, we're saying
2: Yeah, basically.
1: okay that's fine yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you Dan that's Dan's paper I'm not sure that I <laughs> all right let's continue
1: I, my brain can't get around how it can support more mass on top of it than the uh, like water normally could why does the the combination of air and water create structure that can support things well
2: in the case of Foam. So, so all those bubbles in foam are. It's not just air and water. The bubble has a little coating of surfactant. So, sort of long, slightly longer molecules that stick to the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you, the reason it makes a structure is it's a bit like corrugated cardboard or something. It's if you've got lots of very tiny things that each have a little rigid cage around them that little rigid cage doesn't want to squash. So the bubble has surface tension, which is keeping it spherical. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's trying to stay in a spherical shape, which means it doesn't like being squished. And its coating is also stabilizing its shape a little bit. So you've got a little thing that doesn't want to be squished. And if you put lots of those together, because they're very, very tiny, it's very hard to squish a very tiny thing. And then you put lots of tiny things together, and they all sort of reinforce each other. So it's very hard to squish the overall structure. Okay. Um, so people do change the structure of things.
0: So if I had a box with, say, one-quarter water and three-quarters air, and then I had another box which was sort of shaken up and was all foam, would that box have more energy in it? Because you put <laughs> energy in when you turn you turn You'd use energy yeah, to turn water and air into bubbles, and then yeah. the bubbles would lose it energy would have, as they popped.
2: It would have more potential energy, yeah, effectively stored energy, because you'd have to arrange it and lift up the water i mean that's the major part of the work in that, is you'd have to lift up the water so it felt you know it's higher up in the tank right when the whole thing's full of foam mm. oh, um,
0: then, yeah that makes sense
2: Hmm. It's not a very efficient way of storing energy. Um, and in the ocean, I mean, so my I idea for the,
0: batteries has gone out the window. <laughs> Dan's bubble battery. Well,
2: you've got to try, right? Um, <laughs> in the ocean, the bubbles that I study are in the top few meters of the ocean, just underneath breaking waves. Those are the ones I'm interested in, and they do rise to the surface very quickly. And they're taking energy away from the waves. You know, as waves crash and break. Mm the energy that goes into creating the bubbles, for example, and the turbulence is taken away from the energy of the ocean surface. So if you're looking at a stormy sea and you're looking at breaking waves, the breaking is actually where energy is being taken out of the sea, and the wind is what's putting it in. So, so bubbles are very good at dissipating energy, at taking it away from situations. That's a bit technical. I don't know.
1: No, no, no. I think I think at the terminator between sea and land, you, you get the noise, you get the crash of the waves. There's sound energy being produced, and then the bubbles themselves are also taking energy from from the from the sea as well
2: but this is also out at storms in sea so the, the number oh, of breaking away okay. coast is tiny like insignificant to the point where no one really studies it because oh. it's not very interesting oh, right. the ones <laughs> in the open ocean in storms they're the ones that are interesting because the oceans are huge and if you've got a big storm you've got continual breaking waves oh. and that's where the bubbles are actually they're out in the open ocean they're not uh Mostly not at the shore. What you see at the shore is just a tiny little fraction of, of what's out there.
1: So, keeping this in mind, then, let's just say, for just hypothetically, I was some sort of Bond villain and I had a sea base. I'm
2: the fantasy we're about to hear. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, fantasy. I'm, it's just a hypothetical, fantasy. a total
1: hypothetical. There's no, there's no proof of this whatsoever. No one's ever got away. I, my sea base is out at sea. And let's just say it's having trouble with waves. You know, sometimes my base gets hit by giant sea waves, hypothetically. Now, if I could create some sort of bubble shield, could that stop waves from crashing into my hypothetical evil lair?
2: No, because you'd have to keep the bubbles there. That's quite hard. Ah, so correct. you could – bubbles would be a way of getting – if you could – what you could do is have a little mini surf break just a little way out from your lair. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a sort of – sort of, Hi- um, Hypothetical
1: lair. Um, hypothetical um, lair. Hypothetical, hypothetical lair. Yeah, okay, thank underwater
2: you. Underwater wall that goes all the way around it but doesn't quite reach to the surface. And then the waves will break over the wall and the full wave power won't hit your hypothetical lair. Ah. So you could breaking waves to dissipate you wouldn't you you wouldn't put the bubbles there already what you'd do is you'd have like a surf break which is a you know sort of bump underwater which the Mm. waves will break a a little distance back and that would effectively create a wall around your your lair that would protect it hypothetical layer Hypothetical, there, mm, mm. Uh, which protects me from the worst of
1: the waves. No, it would also stop the UN uh, submarines getting in there and attacking me as well. Hypothetical, hypothetical
0: UN submarines. Hypothetical,
1: yes, UN submarines. But if okay. you
0: had a if you had a wall of bubbles, wouldn't the energy of the wave compress that wall of bubbles and not get propagated through as strongly?
2: The first thing is any bubbly water; the bubbles will be rising to the top really quickly. So you'd have to keep making them from below. Yeah, um, I think that. It would change, it would change the way the wave propagated a little bit, but not enough, because even when you've got really bubbly water, it's still, the actual air is still much less than 1%. Of the total amount of stuff, you know, the total volume you've got. So even when it's really, really bubbly, there's still much, much more water than air. So I don't ah, think it right. would be propagated very much.
1: Okay, I'll have to,
0: I'll have to get my chief hypothetical scientist to work on that a bit more hypothetically. But if I could really pump a lot of air in, so it was like a meter wide and no water at all, it was just blasting air <laughs> up. That'd probably stop it, right? That's not a bubble anymore. No, that's an air jet. Yeah.
1: It's hypothetical airjet. Hypothetical air jet That could That may or may not take out hypothetical planes. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's, that's, look, we're getting off track. We're getting off track. I just, I don't know if Helen needs to join our hypothetical organization anymore. So just hold off on that. On <laughs> bringing her in.
2: Worst thing a hypothetical supervillain is doing is worrying about bubbles. The world's probably all right, doing all right. <laughs> Yay. <You know? laughs>
1: do you hear that you in banky moon don't stop sending people after me anyway do bubbles behave the same at the surface as they do at the bottom of the mariana's trench uh, it would, would they sort of do the same thing which is you know go up i guess
2: no, no that's interesting so first of all bubbles at the bottom of the mariana trench are really hard to generate because there's so much the, you're down down there you're under the, the weight of 10 kilometers of water right mm-hmm. everything is getting squished a lot so for, to generate a bubble in that environment you've got the pressure has to be so high. Basically, if you made a bubble, it would dissolve almost instantly because, oh. because of, the, of the water around it. There are places, so the shallow seas where there are methane seeps. So, for example, around the coast of Svalbard in Siberia, off of Santa Barbara, you've probably got some somewhere around Australia as well. There are places, shallow seas, where methane is stored underneath the seafloor and it, and it seeps out. Um, maybe a couple of hundred meters below the surface mm. and those those bubbles are really interesting because we care about methane being released into the atmosphere and whether it gets there and it seems that it might not, it might just dissolve in the ocean. But there are bubbles formed a, a couple of hundred meters down and what tends to happen for them is that they, they get coated in a little, the methane reacts with the water to make a little hard coating for the bubble and so it rises up with this sort of jacket on and they do behave quite differently. They rise in straight lines. You no know, bubbles don't normally rise in straight lines. You haven't looked okay. at bubbles, no one ever has. Um, but they're <laughs> generally zigzagging around. Right, the really tiny ones rise more or less straight, but the bigger the bubble, the more likely it is to be zigzagging or wobbling or going, you know, sort of. It's spiraling. like watching a
0: Labrador chase something.
2: Yeah, like you it keep can going, be like keep
0: oh, going, what's that? over there? What's over there? What's over there? What's over
2: there? They, they will actually zigzag in a really regular pattern. If you, um, if you have sort of the bubbles in a fish tank, a bigger bubble, they'll zigzag back and forth with about the same, you know, they'll go the same distance in each direction. So there is a little bit of regularity, but they are, they do, they do, they following them is is definitely therapeutic i guess you might say
0: yeah so is the reason they go zigzag because when it goes in one way it lowers the water pressure on one side and then when it goes the other way it's the pressure rises on one side and lowers on the other side so the pressure's sort of pushing it back and
2: forth yeah so it's to do with the shape changes of the bubble but effectively that's more it's, it's that the shape change of the bubble squishes it so that you get a little pressure increase as it moves one way that that slows it down and stops it and then it changes the shape of the bubble So it zooms back the other way. So it's to do with the interaction of the shape. I mean, bubbles are not round. This is one of those things people think about bubbles being round. But the most interesting bubbles are definitely not spheres. The ones I study are breaking apart. So when a wave breaks, you get bubbles and then the turbulence breaks those bubbles into smaller bubbles and then those bubbles into smaller bubbles. And so you get this continual process of breaking. And those bubbles are not spherical. As 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 soon as they get so small they're close to spherical, they won't break up anymore. So there is there is a sort of side of the smallest bubble that will break. And everything above that, if you if you put it in turbulent water, you know, it gets kind of squished and stretched. And it's all kinds of funny shapes. And then it breaks. And the really cool thing about bubbles breaking apart, if you imagine imagine a, a single bubble in sort of inside a washing machine. And the water's going in lots of different directions and it's stretching it and squishing it. And eventually that bubble gets stretched out and it kind of snaps into two. And then it, at the moment it snaps into two, it releases a sound. Uh, which is a major part of my research, the sound that bubbles break, make when they when they break apart. And so each of the two new daughter bubbles makes a little ping, and you can listen for oh. those pings, know how many new bubbles are being formed. And you actually hear this. So if you blow down a straw, right, whenever, when each bubble comes out the bottom of the straw, it goes blub, blub, blub. So that's the sound that a new bubble makes when it's being formed, and it's actually telling you how big the bubble is. So if you imagine a white bottle, you go blub, blub, blub. You know, it's a deep note. Hmm. It's a big bubble like bells and then if you listen to your aquarium bubbler which is something i do quite a lot um (laughs) um, they make little high (laughs) noises and so you can actually hear how big the bubble is from the sound it makes as it forms and so when bubbles fragment they're definitely not spherical they break apart into two and as they snap back each one rings like a little bell and you can hear how big it is which is really useful if you're trying to study bubbles in the ocean because i've got to study bubbles out in the in the middle of the north atlantic in storm season it's very hard <laughs> to get to what's going on uh, so if you can
1: them, life is a lot easier. On, so you have to go you have to go out in a ship into the North Atlantic when in storm season, put a hydrophone, I assume, off the edge, and
0: listen to bubbles through all that noise.
2: Yeah, in a slightly simplified way, that basically is my job,
0: yeah. <laughs> you should <laughs> just take a bubbles- mojito into your bedroom. It'd be a lot less effort. <laughs> just blow well, the into bubbles
2: that for now. You, you know, it's actually you can demonstrate and I have I have done this for audiences, you can demonstrate all the the effects that bubbles have in the ocean with a glass of champagne. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really good way to bribe an audience. Uh, so the bubbles, I'm interested in that, they're helping the process of ocean breathing. So they're, they're taking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, usually, uh, and helping it dissolve into the ocean, depending on which bit of the ocean you're in. Hmm. They're helping gas transfer across the surface. And, of course, in the glass of champagne, you've got gas coming the other way, coming out of the drink and into the air. And then the other thing that bubbles do in the ocean, which is important, is that they produce tiny little aerosol particles. So you know when you hold a fizzy drink under your nose and you can feel it spitting up hmm. your nose, right? Mm-hmm. Tiny Particle particles. The bubbles in the ocean are doing the same thing. Those white foam patches left after a wave break, are spitting tiny particles up into the atmosphere, and those are drifting upwards, and they're important for cloud formation, these little specks of salt oh. and organic matter. So the bubbles are contributing aerosols, so that's a thing that you see mm-hmm. in Champagne. They also change the colour of the ocean. When you look at the foam on top of a glass of champagne, it's white, right? Yeah. I mean, foam yeah. Used, if you're using satellite measurements of the ocean, subsurface bubbles are actually changing the colour of the ocean, making it look a little bit greener. And they also bubble the acoustics of the ocean. And you can hear the bubbles fizzing when champagne is uh, off-gassing, which is untold what the connoisseurs call it. Um,
1: (laughs) I never know long enough. Normally champagne's put in front of me and suddenly it's gone magically. I I never have time to hear it fizz. It's it's very sad.
2: Um, But bubbles actually also change the acoustics of the ocean and the way that sound travels through the upper layer, which is full of bubbles. So, you can genuinely study ocean bubbles with a glass of champagne if you're That's... so minded. I'm
1: not making... <laughs> I just love the idea that, that as you become more and more famous, it's, it stops being a glass of champagne, then it's like a, you want a, a, like a bucket of champagne and then you want a bath of champagne and suddenly it's a swimming pool of champagne because I'm a scientist, damn it.
2: Well, I do have a colleague in France who, who is genuinely a champagne bubble physicist and his lab looks like my lab. It's got tanks and pipes and you know, uh, oscilloscopes and electronics and things. But it's also got more empty bottles of champagne. very expensive <laughs>
1: champagne. <laughs> it has to be expensive. That's, that's science. That's obviously science. Yeah, well, he's
2: sponsored by the champagne companies to look at the formation <laughs> of bubbles. They, they do actually genuinely cha- change the taste of, of champagne oh. because they're delivering flavor as the bubbles rise through the fluid you know i said stuff was sticking to them well as the bubble rises through it's not everything that sticks to it so some flavor molecules in a glass of champagne will stick to the bubbles more than others and then the bubbles are delivering those ones to the surface and when they burst it's those ones that get spat up your nose and your smell is a major form of taste so when you are tasting a glass of champagne actually the bubbles are selecting the taste that you Uh. get and that's one of the reasons that flat champagne tastes different to fizzy champagne it's that the delivery mechanism for flavor is different
0: now i learned something about water the other night is that if you leave a glass of water out overnight it can absorb carbon dioxide and that's why water tastes stale is that a thing
2: depends where it's come from so it's unlikely to absorb any more carbon dioxide than it already had because there's very little in the atmosphere so the equilibrium you know level of carbon dioxide in water is very low probably not detectable by a human you get bubbles because things come out of solution so it is true that water if you leave it in the glass it will slowly exchange gas molecules with its surroundings until it's got as many so if you're talking about carbon dioxide for example in the glass every so often a carbon dioxide molecule will come to the surface and it will disappear off and every so often one will hit it and it will go in and basically the situation changes until those two things are equal you've got as many going out as you've got coming in if you leave water around it will take up a bit of oxygen and a bit of nitrogen and a bit of carbon dioxide or it will give give them back if it's got too much If it's got more than the air so it, so you it will reach a balance so it will change the taste depending on what was in it to start with or it could change the taste
0: hmm okay when you, you said before
1: about the sound in bubbles as so i said sorry, listening to bubbles underwater and then working out the size of them that sort of stuff so i just want to bring up a it's an odd thing but i'd heard about something called the bloop have you heard of the totally. bloop? Have you, heard, you have heard of the bloop?
2: Yeah, right. It's a noise in the South Atlantic. That's the,
1: yeah, yeah. And the, the people think it's biological or they're like a giant creature that's... It's Cthulhu. It's Cthulhu, Cthulhu. Yeah, that's right. yeah. It's always Cthulhu. But I was, then from what you just said then, if you could hear the boop, bloop, or the boop, or the bloop, whatever it's called. There's also a giant Betty boop. It, well, that's under, the, it, uh, yeah, under that's, the sea. I'm sure. Uh, so, would it be possible to know just by the sound of it the size of the bubble that's being produced?
2: It's unlikely that that's produced by a bubble. And the reason I can say that is that it, it was heard from a very long way away and it was very, very low frequency. Mm. And to generate a bubble with that kind of low frequency, You'd have to put a lot of effort into it. You know, that would be a, w- a very weird situation. Right. Um, lo- the low frequencies tend to travel a lot further underwater, which is why you can hear a blue whale from a thousand miles away and you can't, you can't, can't hear a dolphin from 100 metres away because uh. a dolphin it's high high frequencies that don't travel very far and, and the big low notes that the blue whale needs are the ones that travel.
0: Yeah, a dolphin be on you before you know it. Only 100 metres <laughs> away, you can't hear a thing. <laughs> and then, boom, it's got ya. And its meaty claws. <laughs> Thank you, Dan.
2: I like the idea of the, the like the dolphin whisperer being Irish. <laughs> Where <does that> be? <laughs> it's like, a of all, <laughs> of all the nationalities to pick.
1: That's right. Lots of, um, lots of lots of dolphins around Ireland. It's a very very dolphin rich area. There
2: are quite a lot of dolphins around Ireland, but I'm not sure. Are they
1: really? Yeah, but yeah, they're, I, I, they're out in the north
2: atlantic right They're they're, they're there they're there there's a famous why? dolphin in cary or somewhere i think
1: that why don't this is i don't understand we, we come from a nice warm part of the planet where the seas are beautiful and everything's gorgeous and we have dolphins and animals and it's all very good
2: don't be too smug will you no no that's what i'm just putting that i never
1: understand where animals like you know this is a dolphin that lives in the north atlantic and you're like it's a horrific place you can just go round through the water and go into warmer climes go south young dolphin maybe he doesn't
0: like blue bottles and saltwater crocodiles. That's true, yeah. And Iraganji And Australians. And box jellyfish. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And those the snakes. Old... Just snakes. <laughs> See, snakes in the water. <laughs> that's right. Like, you thought snakes were dangerous in two dimensions. Imagine when they're coming at you in three. They're coming up from behind or underneath. Or, yeah, anyway. That's...
2: I think you've answered your own question, but cold water is often very productive. It's lo- lots of food. So it's uh, not a bad place to be if you're hungry, yeah. generally.
1: Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Oh, that's really well, yeah, a good point. That's why the whales and everything go to the Antarctica to, to feed, and then they come back to, to have their babies in the warm water of the Northern Queensland. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's not uh, bubble related at all. So what's the most important thing about bubbles that, that your research has shown? Like what's something you're like, oh my goodness, like if we didn't know this, then the world would be, it'd be over if it wasn't for bubbles.
2: I'm not sure I can claim that the world would be over if it didn't know anything (laughs) I'd discovered, to be honest. No, that's Um, that's a
1: bad way to get funding, Helen. You have to work
2: on Yeah, Like most science, you know, we're kind of chipping away at a a big mountain. The reason it's relevant is that understanding how this breathing process works allows us to predict where it's happening and how it might change in the future. Hmm. The bits that I contribute are the understanding how the engine works the engine of the ocean this is because it is an engine hmm. and how this surface layer of it works and feeding that into weather and climate models to help them perform better so that's what's going on it's about improving weather models and improving our because i think each of us has three life support systems right we've each got a body a planet and a civilization that is keeping us alive in its own way hmm. and so you know what could possibly be more important than studying your life support system so this is perhaps a bit like in the equivalent in the human body might be studying how cells. Stick to the walls of capillaries or something. You know, it's part of how the transport system works. So I think it's quite important that there's a lot of science. Which it's there's always shiny things to talk about, but fundamentally, (laughs) it's not this eureka moment every other day thing. It's that you don't know the significance of what you're doing, but you find things out because you know that when people find things out, good things happen. Mm. But you don't know that this thing you you found out. You don't know what this thing is going to contribute but you do it anyway because you believe it's a good thing to know so the weather and climate the, i'm trying to make weather models better wow. is the short oh. the reason for doing it is understanding our life support system because the bubbles are helping the ocean breathe the atmosphere is massive the ocean is massive they're exchanging huge amounts of stuff between them so for example a third of all the extra carbon dioxide that we put up into the atmosphere ends up in the ocean and it's changing the oceans And the the bubbles at the surface are really important for where that carbon dioxide gets taken down into the ocean. So... So That sort of thing.
0: Could you explain
1: that then? Sorry, that's interesting. I knew that the ocean drew in carbon dioxide. Thank goodness. It seems to draw in a massive carbon dioxide sink. So is that heavily related to bubbles?
2: There's two sort of mechanisms for that. One is that if you've got a flat sea surface, just like the glass of water, you get a little bit of exchange across the surface. But when you've got a storm and you've got waves and bubbles breaking, you've got this mixing process. The bubbles are these little packets of the atmosphere being carried down into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it seems that a huge amount of the carbon dioxide exchange is happening in the bubbles just after a wave breaks. You've got quite big bubbles within the top metre of the surface. And that's where the exchange process is happening. And so the bubbles are a very significant contribution specifically to carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide is relatively soluble. Mm -hmm. Oxygen and nitrogen are less soluble, so they they get taken down by bubbles even deeper. But the the carbon dioxide transfer seems to happen at the surface, which is the the models that I'm working on are all to do with either carbon dioxide or the aerosol production, the little particles being spat upwards. So yes, bubbles are right in there. As a what you see if you look at how carbon dioxide, you can actually look at how carbon dioxide gets taken up with wind speed. So it gets taken up very, very slowly at very low wind speeds. Yeah. And as you keep going up and up and up, then it takes this huge uptick. So as you get to higher wind speeds, so twenty meters, twenty-five meters a second, I don't know, fifty miles an hour, suddenly there's, there's the amount of carbon dioxide going into the ocean goes up by a huge amount, and it's the bubbles and the turbulence that are causing that.
0: So if you had a, a water spout, a, a tornado over the water, I know that's not quite what a water spout is, would that mean that it would be sucking up more carbon dioxide on the outside than there was carbon dioxide on the inside of it or vice versa? Is it sucking uh, gas out of the water?
2: No. No. I, I, <laughs> I've only seen the water spout once, but I think this is not a significant one. To carbon dioxide transfer between the atmosphere and the ocean. But, I think, but your point is that the, the place where the air and the liquid is mixing, which is the outside, is the place where carbon dioxide is likely to be going into the water. And it also, I mean, the, the ocean is breathing in as well as out. So carbon dioxide tends to be going into the ocean at the high latitudes, So in the North Atlantic, for example, and it tends to be coming out closer to the equator. Which, uh, so, which? but overall going in but there's still places where the ocean is breathing in and places where it's breathing out and the frequency of storms for example might make a difference to how and where the carbon dioxide. Gets taken up. You know, we're expecting in as global warming carries on, more storms and higher wind speeds.
1: I was just about to ask that very question. So, if you put pump more energy, if you have carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and that means the atmosphere starts to heat up, and therefore you have more energy for the atmospheric engine to get up, so bigger tornadoes and bigger bigger wind events. Does that mean that the ocean will absorb more carbon dioxide?
2: The oceans act as a buffer for carbon dioxide, and we don't know how long that buffer will continue for. At the moment, they're doing us an enormous favour because they take in carbon dioxide they kind of shunt it into a couple of other chemical species and they're sort of acting as a almost like a sort of piggy bank you know they Mm. you put carbon dioxide in it obviously it has consequences it's making the oceans less alkaline Mm. but the ocean the oceans are taking stuff up and what we don't know is that as the oceans change and they get a bit warmer we don't know whether that buffering system and and whether the the piggy bank is going to keep functioning in the same way so the oceans are helping us out a lot now but we don't know how that might change in the future.
1: So we could get to a tipping point where everything gets too warm and the ocean's like, that's it, we're full. And in fact, have some carbon dioxide. And, and the system goes you know, it starts breathing out a lot more than it's breathing in.
2: Yeah, so I guess, and that could definitely be coming for, so there's, there's water masses under, because there's different time going on, right? There's the seasonal cycle of, you know, what comes up and goes down this year. Mm. And then there's also huge water masses moving about under the surface that could come back to the surface. For example, one of the things that people talked about, shown not to work, is that, Well, one of the ideas is that maybe you could put carbon dioxide in very deep water in the ocean, and it would just kind of slither about on the bottom of the ocean and and not bother us for a thousand years. The problem is that eventually it'll come back up uh, and bring bring all that carbon dioxide with it. Um, So you might be able to solve the problem for a bit, but not for very long. Uh, It turns out that that most of those methods don't really work. But the point is, there's there's a lot of the ocean. People don't understand how even out where you are, where you've got nice blue ocean, you know, it's deep. There's a lot of water out there, mm. and so there's a lot of space to put things in. But but it does it is moving around, and and what goes down might come back up. You know, yeah. you, you don't know.
1: Over over geological timescales, it could go very badly has, for us.
2: I mean, you don't know. People talk about carbon sequestration under the ocean. So there's, you know, there's there's schemes for putting carbon. Well, here in England, under the North Sea, for example, we took out gas out of, uh, you know, reserves. So there's this sort of space now and put something back in it. The problem is it might come back up. If you put carbon dioxide down there, you've got to guarantee it's going to stay put. And that's, at the moment, that's a problem for these schemes, because you fractured the ocean floor, right? When, when the gas was down there originally, you know, the methane that was taken out, there was nice solid rock lid on top of it, and it was nice and safe, but once you've cracked all of that rock you can put carbon dioxide down but how do you know it's going to stay down there Mm. that's that's interesting
1: question. so so, but basically that's almost like fracking and i know that's a ooh, that's a dangerous word to bring up but to get oil out of the ground and to get natural gas out of the ground you know cracking it and calling it fracking i guess it's the same thing but kind of in reverse you breaking the ground and pumping stuff back into it and hoping it holds it all together
2: It might well become solid. If it's deep enough, the pressure will turn the carbon dioxide solid. But the question is, does it stay put? It could still migrate and move around. It's a sensible place to put your carbon back to, right? It's where you got it from. So you effectively, I mean, there's a a logic to it which says there's a carbon store down there and it's got energy. So we'll take the carbon out, we'll take away the energy and we'll put the carbon back. There is actually a scheme in Iceland they're trying to make rock out of carbon, organic carbon. That might be to artificially make limestone. And that would be a good way of storing carbon dioxide in a deep environment where it wouldn't come back up. We're straight a long way from bubbles here. We have, we saw, yes, we've
1: we got slightly off, off there. Okay, so uh, uh, we've talked a lot about bubbles in water. Do you investigate bubbles in other medium?
2: Not really, because bubbles, there's so much to know about bubbles in water that I've got, <laughs> I've got quite a lot on the go, to be honest.
1: And Fair enough. You don't need to worry about bubbles and honey. That's someone else's uh, thesis. They're not, well, also,
2: they're a lot less interesting. So bubbles in viscous fluids are a lot less interesting because they, they do tend to be round. And they do tend to just sit there, and it's much less fun. Oh, okay. um, <laughs>
0: right.
2: Obviously, water are interesting because the viscosity of water is relatively low, and that may- means you get lots of interesting things happening. And it's what makes bubbles useful in sort of industry and medicine and that kind of thing, and in drinks. If there were, if there's all this bubbles vis- in viscous fluid, look quite pretty, but they're. They're not doing nearly as much. Okay. So that's Um, interesting.
0: Because you would deal with waves. Do you have, like, a language of waves? Are there, like, a whole bunch of different types of waves that laymen don't really know about?
2: Yeah. You know, so there's a book called This Thing of Darkness. It's a novel, but it's based on the voyage of the Beagle and Darwin and Fitzroy and that relationship. And my friend recommended it to me. He was like, you really should read this. And the first thing in it is a description of a storm. And I just read it and went, that's not real. He's never seen a storm. And I had to try really hard to kind of wind that back and appreciate that, you know, this person's done a huge amount of research into these historical characters. And if they hadn't understood how storms work, that' probably, you know, that's probably my problem not theirs.
1: <laughs> Do you watch a lot of, like, like, did you watch Titanic or any other sort of disaster movies with boats or any of that and go, it's all rubbish, just rubbish, I tell you. It wouldn't have behaved like that.
2: So I don't. I, try, I, try, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big fan of disaster movies to start with. But it is, it's like the little details of, of how waves – so there are, you know, waves move in different ways and they move the, – the directions they move in are distinctive. And, and, of course, that's all useful information if you're at sea watching swells and you're watching wind sea and you're watching the shape of the waves and there's lots of information in it and of course that was used for example by the polynesian navigators to find their way around the pacific ocean is looking at the patterns in the waves and understanding what information they could learn from it Hmm. so there is there is a lot of subtlety in waves even watching from the cliffs you can see at least a little bit of that you can see swell and you can see wind sea and you can see wave systems coming from different directions Yeah, well, it's. I mean, but it's not. You know, the amazing thing about it all is that seafarers have looked out at stormy seas for centuries, and it's my job to look just one meter underneath. Hmm. So you've got all these hundreds of thousands of people who've looked at and you know suffered through really horrible stormy seas but they couldn't see just one meter underneath and modern science is, is still getting there
1: is it, we've only got down one meter but it, it's such an active layer it's such a it, it's that transition layer between the atmosphere and the the hydrosphere it's, just, it's sort of this the interface layer. interface that's what i was looking for thank you
2: well what we're finding you know so you can look at the earth the earth is an engine a physical engine and you can look at it as made up of sort of five systems the atmosphere the oceans biology rocks and the ice and traditionally they were all studied separately but if you're studying an engine you need to study how it's put together and so this is what we're finding in the earth sciences it's that it's how these big five things interact with each other that's just as important as how each one works out for itself so that that is you know this big interlocking system in order to understand it we we do it's actually very important to study things passing between its various components So that's what makes the teeth
0: of
1: the cogs
2: basically that's what the bubbles are the teeth it, of the cogs
1: that's what all happens so is it can i ask a question people always think about the human body being amazing and all the rest is it like i'm guessing bubbles in the human body are, are very important as well is that something that you've sort of looked into or, or your research has sort of gone down
2: So I haven't done bubbles in humans, but I have colleagues who do because they're they're becoming important tools in medicine. So because bubbles are squishy, they interact really strongly with sound, which means that they can be used as ultrasound contrast agents. And what that means is that, so ultrasound is, we often think about it as being used for looking at babies in the womb, Mm -hmm. but it's also useful for plenty of other medical diagnostic tests. And, And the fundamental thing is you can look with ultrasound. But you can only, there's only something to see if different bits of the body respond differently to sound, right? And so what you can do, and colleagues in my department are working on it, is putting tiny coated bubbles into specific parts of the body or tagging them so that they stay in parts of the body. And then when you look at that part of the body with ultrasound, you can see where the arteries are, for example, because... The the bubbles are slightly squishy and that means that sound responds to them differently. And so you can use them as a contrast agent to let you see a structure that was there all along. But if you don't have the bubbles, you can't see it. And they're also starting to use bubbles for drug delivery because the bubble is carrying stuff both in the coating on the outside of it and on the inside of the bubble. And if you can take those bubbles to a certain place in the body and then use ultrasound to pop them and release a drug,
0: You've oh, potentially
2: wow. got a mechanism to deliver a drug just to where you know. And if you're dealing with something nasty like a cancer drug, you don't want it to kill all the rest of you. You want it to go to the tumor and do its work there. And wow. so bubbles, my colleagues are looking at them as vehicles in the human body, both to improve imaging and also to deliver drugs.
1: So is there is there one thing that you've ever been like talking to someone like in a pub or somewhere, and then and you've turned around and they're just looking at you with wide eyed horror, and you've realised you've discussed something very strange about bubbles?
2: think of anything
0: that's it's hard to weaponize them yeah Yeah. Yeah, they
2: do tend to make people smile i mean they're like they're like the dolphins of physics right you know people see dolphins and they they're just happy bubbles are a bit like that they just make people happy don't Um, trust them
0: they're only a hundred feet away you don't hear them coming
2: That's probably inside you. I'd be more worried than that if I was gonna if I was gonna be worried about
0: bubbles. The bubbles are inside me. I yes, thought you were threatening it's me to <laughs> put dolphins inside
1: me. She has strange powers. So you've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Helen is warning you about death, dangerous bubbles inside you right now. You heard it here 1st on I'm smart enough to know better. Dr. Helen, thank you very much for for chatting to us today and putting us right about this very important subject. You're very welcome. Now we're very lucky to be able to talk to Dr. Helen because. the Atheist Foundation of Australia is bringing right to Australia and New Zealand the Cosmic Shambles Live Tour and we last year we were very lucky to be able to talk to Robin Ince and Robin will be coming with Dr Helen again and uh, Professor Lucy Green, Josie Long and Matt Parker and they will be coming to talk in March and April I do believe in cities all around Australia and New Zealand so Sydney, Melbourne Perth and other cities in New Zealand as well. So look that up at CosmicShamblesLive.com to find more information as well but thank you very much Dr. Helen.
0: Thank you. You have been listening to me, Dan, at smartenough.org. You've also been listening to Greg at smartenough.org. Please follow us on Twitter at SE2KB, Facebook at SE2KB. Go along and review and rate us on iTunes. Also, when it comes to Twitter, Look, I'm always chasing Greg because he's always got like a hundred more followers than me. So if you could get onto Twitter and just follow me, at DNABeast. If you don't want to follow me, at least go and unfollow Greg, who is at War on Twitter. So unfollow him, follow me. That would be brilliant. All right, thanks so much. Don't forget to check out the Cosmic Shambles Tour. You could get the address on our website at smartenough.org. Also, feel free to start off a conversation in our comments section. See you guys next month.
2: So I worked with a PhD student when I was a PhD student. He was amazing. He was an Italian who learned his English in a part of England where there is a very strong regional accent. Everyone should learn a foreign language like that because everyone loves you because he, used to, he had this sort of musical italian thing with this deep dark northern weirdness <laughs> and it floated between the two and the guy could talk for hours and you never had any idea of the content of what he was saying because the way he was saying it was so spectacular
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is the thing that we have not asked about bubbles you're like please ask you about this please <laughs> i
2: don't i don't think there is anything i don't I, I,
1: oh, <laughs> woo, <we're> experts? Yay. <laughs>
2: If there's one thing I want to talk about, I would have talked about it. So I don't, I, don't, I think maybe that's the answer to that question. I, we've probably already covered it because I don't wait to be asked. But,
1: um, Great. That's, that's why you're an excellent science communicator.
0: Creatures, if you discount the color of our skin. So ready to appreciate your lyrical genius that I've been strapped in, and the probes attached, so that I can catch the nuance of your creative prose. Throw my exterior into sharper leap as I suffer the convulsive throes. You mean I see Philistines figures, heads are aching With the fish translating in their ear I feel the rhythmic Modulators tweak my brain And turn my many moments into years I just gotta Have a brain bigger than a planet Isn't big enough to include you And the bloodiest Mind in rhyming crimes you'll find In Constructor Fleet number two What you mean I'm digesting the best intended lists of crisp and checked infective mentions, a chest of tested word injections, Set fast text you can invest in, a cresting cestina ingested, a westward press of verbal tempest. I confess a jealous reception, throttled by my own. There goes gravity, energy, and even mass The underlying laws of reality pause to build a hyperspatial route bypass The green-eyed monster has taken wing in the same way that bricks don't fly And I wish I was a whiff of hydrogen, ozone, and carbonized monoxide exactly what you mean